so much for leading us in worship. Really appreciate it so much. Have you guys ever felt, have you ever come to a situation that's happened in your life where you felt completely unprepared for? That ever happened to you? Something very difficult, maybe a difficult situation come up and you felt like you were just not prepared for it at all. You don't have to share out loud. (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) That's a great one. That is a great, you're going to help write my intros from now on. I think uh, being prepared is something that's really, really important part of life. It's super important. Marriage, that's a great example. When we know that we are going to be facing something difficult, whether it's marriage or whether it's a grueling competition of some kind or maybe a hard conversation that we need to have with somebody um, or even a presentation that we have at work or at school, we know that if we are going to have any chance whatsoever of having a positive outcome, we need to be prepared. We must be prepared. It's like, it's like for me, the only thing I can think of and for me really personally is, for, is preaching in my life right now. Preaching is something um, that it's really my desire to be able to be biblically sound, to be able to preach a message to you guys that is relevant and that will have some sort of impact. But it really, in order for that to happen, besides all the work that the Holy Spirit does in my preparation and during this time now, I know that I am going to have to put many, many hours of concentrated study and prayer into each sermon in order to get the outcome that I believe really is satisfactory or desirable. It's going to take work. And for me personally, it just happens to be hard work. Some guys, maybe it's not, it's a lot of hard work for me, but it need, I need to prepare. I mean, I've heard stories of guys that preach, you know, they start thinking, okay, it's Sunday's coming, it's Friday night, I better think about what I'm going to preach on, on, on Sunday. That's just not, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that. And I'm not putting them down, I'm not saying I'm so great for doing that, I'm just saying I need time. So preparation is so important. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to finally be finishing up the letter of First Peter, this, this great book that we've been um, looking at. And we're going to do it by looking at the importance of being prepared in order to deal with the humiliation, possibly, or the opposition, or even suffering that we will most likely face in time for being faithful, for living out our faith in Jesus Christ. For being followers of Christ, there's a good chance that we're going to face opposition. And this is what the Apostle Peter is dealing with as he wraps up this letter. But really, it's really what Peter has been talking about the entire letter. He's been saying, as followers of Jesus, there will be times when we encounter opposition or even suffering for living out our faith because our values are different. They are different from, they go counter to the culture that we live in. For a lot of people, sometimes it's just being mocked by their friends. I can't believe you believe that. Really? You believe that? Or it's a family member that just, they don't understand. What the heck? You weren't raised that way. Why do you, why are you thinking that? Or having to make a decision in your life that you know will honor the Lord. You know it will honor the Lord. But it could put your reputation, maybe your social standing, or even your financial situation at risk for making that kind of decision. Sometimes suffering comes as a result of deciding to say, you know what, I'm tired of living this way. I know I need to change. This area of my life, I'm giving it over to the Lord. 
and discontinuing that certain lifestyle or that habit or that addiction, whatever it might be, becomes very difficult in your life. The temptations, the struggles that you have because you want to live faithful to Jesus is going to be hard and it's going to happen. The reality is that if you've never encountered this, if this has never happened to you, you've encountered opposition for your faith, the message of 1 Peter is this, be prepared because most likely, eventually, it will happen. There's a very good chance it is going to happen. You're going to face opposition for living out your faith. So let's look at these, let's look at these verses. Last verses starting, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 14. Let's start with the first two verses though, okay? Verse 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So the first thing we see here is that Peter tells us that we are to humble ourselves. In order to be prepared, we need to humble ourselves. Now, humbling ourselves in the context of this letter we've been looking at, under the mighty hand of God, means to accept any humiliation or any opposition or any suffering that we might encounter for living out our faith as followers of Jesus. And, it's, and we're willing to do that knowing full well that it's been allowed by God. And it's even being used by God to help us to grow in our faith and in our trust in Him. It means not responding to opposition by saying, what? Why is it? I'm bewildered about this. Why is this happening? Or questioning it. Or, or I don't deserve this, God. Why? It's not saying, why me, God? What have I done wrong? What's the problem here? I'm trying to be faithful. This isn't fair. No, that's not what it's saying. It's being aware of our humble status before God. It means being willing to do whatever, to go wherever, to say whatever he tells us, and humbly accept the consequences because we know that he is our God and our confidence comes from him and from him alone. Many of you know this verse, Micah 6, 8. I love this verse. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of us? Just to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's how we should be prepared. This is precisely the attitude, or really, this is the mindset that will help us to continue to remain faithful to living out our faith, especially in the midst of trials. When things get difficult, we don't understand what's happening. When we take this position of, wait, okay, I am your humble servant, God, and I know you've got my best in mind. Now, the question is, how do we maintain this? How do we maintain this humble attitude or this, or this type of posture before God? Because this really goes counter to our nature, doesn't it? It really does. We want to say, wait a second, I've got rights here. Wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. Life should be a lot easier than this. That's where we go. But, but the truth is that it's only possible to humble ourselves as Peter says, when we, do, when we put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand, now this mighty hand of God, when we hear that, we hear all these symbols about God. The mighty hand of God symbolizes 
power. Okay, it symbolizes strength and deliverance. It's the same mighty hand, basically it's the same kind of mighty hand that's mentioned back in Exodus that delivered the Israelites out of after being in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. It wasn't them that did it. It wasn't the Israelites that did it. It was God's mighty hand that did it, okay? Isaiah 48 speaks of God's hand laying the foundation of the world and spreading out the universe. That's amazing, isn't it? His hand laid the foundation, spread out the universe. Psalm 37 speaks of God's hand upholding the righteous when they stumble. The idea here is that we can completely trust that God is all-powerful and he will use our struggles in our life to ultimately bring about his purpose in our life. And ask me this morning, do you believe that God is all-powerful? So powerful that you can trust every single area of your life to him. It's easy to say that in church. Yeah, I will. I'll do that. But I examine my own life and I go, wow, okay, there's some insecurities I have that I kind of want to hold on to my way of doing things a little bit. So that's our nature to want to do it. But if we want to be truly humble in this way where we accept what God is allowing for us, we have to be willing to be able to say, okay, God, your power is big. I trust that you are big and you are powerful. He wants you and I to know that we can believe this. We can know this because the truth is that God desires to to display his power in and through our lives. Do you believe that, really? And I'm not trying to blow smoke, all Christian power. Really, the reality is God wants to do things in us and through us that we could never, ever do on our own. In a million years, things you couldn't even fathom by his great hand. Can you, do you think the Egyptians, I mean, you think the Israelites thought after 400 years, uh, it's about time, we're going to get out of here, we're going to rise up, we'll, we'll make this happen. Heck no, they just figured this is the way it's going to be forever. God's mighty hand, though, did something through a guy named Moses who was a wimp. He was scared, but God used him because he was willing. Isn't that amazing? He took a little nudging also, a little push. That's what God wants to do for us because he's big and he's powerful. But that only happens when we submit our hopes, our desires, and our very wills to him. Everything, when we say, it's yours, my thoughts, my desires, everything, my dreams and my hopes, they're yours. That's not easy. I'm not make it sound like it's some easy thing. This is a lifelong process. But it's a process that's so wonderful and so freeing as we learn to make that happen. Well, Peter goes on to tell us that the ultimate, the purpose in humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is so that at the proper time, we will be exalted. I had to really, I really struggled with this. I think it's really hard a lot of times to figure out what does it mean that we will be exalted? I really, I really had to do a lot of thinking and praying and reading to figure this out. And really, what this means is when Christ appears again, you and I will be exalted, meaning literally you and I will be spiritually lifted up, spiritually empowered in a way we've never been before, we could never imagine when he comes back. You see, when we humbly accept the humiliation or the opposition 
that we face because we are living out our faith, we can know, we can know for a fact that we will be exalted by God and we will share in the glory of Jesus. It's, it's really, we talked about this before, it's this eternal mindset that Peter's been talking about that I know if you're anything like me, this is a really tough thing to grasp. I live in the here and now. It's hard for me a lot of times. I'm going through difficult stuff to think about. You know what? There's going to be amazing glory. Remember, we even talked about rewards in the last few weeks, all these things. This eternal mindset is what totally shapes how we can live now. And this is what he's saying. Now, in verse 7, Peter says that humbling ourselves actually requires us to do something. We have to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Just being plainly honest, this is a difficult one for me also. I've told many of you that I struggle with an anxiety disorder I've had in my whole life. And this is one of those areas where I go back and forth going, God, is what is this? Am I just, is it a spiritual problem sometimes, I think? Is it a, what, what, you know, I, so I have to go back. But the bottom line is, whenever I get into those a funk, I feel like God just wants to tell me constantly, you know what? I got you. I got you. I want to say why. I don't deserve that. I say all those things. But God just says, you know what? Humble yourself under my mighty hand. Humble yourself. Throw your, this, this word cast your anxiety is the picture of just taking something and casting it off and throwing it onto something else. Like you take a blanket from where you have it, you throw it onto the bed. It's getting rid of it. It's a deliberate act. And that's what I have learned in my life. I've learned that what I've had to do is I've had to be very deliberate and say, okay, I'm anxious about that, God. I'm doing the what if, what if, what if, what if. I need to deliberately see, almost picture, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very visual person, so I have to visualize giving something to God. I have to do that regularly and ask him and invite him into all that. It's a struggle, but he's right in the middle of it. And in many ways, I would tell you I would never want it to change because it makes, puts me on my knees on a regular, regular basis. I hate it, but I love it, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> Peter is reminding us here that we don't have to be anxious about, in this situation, he's saying we don't have to be anxious about the loss of friends or the loss of our reputation or even our job or what people think about us because we're living out our faith. He's saying we don't have to worry about that because God cares for us so much. You think a God that just cares you and loves you more than we could ever imagine is going to go, oops, sorry, I, you stood up for me and I let that one go. Sorry, you got fired or sorry, your friends don't want to be with you anymore. No, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows. John Piper, I have a really long quote, but I thought it was really, really good. John Piper uh, says this, casting your anxieties on God means trusting the promise that he cares for you and has the power and wisdom to put that care to work in the most glorious way. The tr that trust is the opposite of pride. It's the essence of humility. It's the confidence that the mighty, God, mighty hand of God is not over you to crush you, but to care for you just like the promise says. Whenever your heart starts to be anxious about the future, preach to your heart and say, heart, who do you think you are to be afraid of the future and nullify the promise of God? No, heart, I will not exalt myself with anxiety. I will humble myself in peace and joy as I trust this precious and great promise of God. 
he cares for me. So that's a mantra I need daily, hourly. That's so powerful. So the first thing we see in order to prepare ourselves for the opposition that we'll face for living out our faith is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God by casting our anxieties on him, okay? Next thing we see to be prepared for possible humiliation or opposition or just the suffering we might go through for living out our faith is found in the next verse, verse eight. But let's just, I wanna look just at the first part. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Now, to be sober-minded and watchful, what this literally means, it means to be spiritually alert. Okay, he's saying, I want, you need to be spiritually alert. alert. Now, this is not easy. This is not our natural propensity is to be spiritually alert. Heck, if I can just be alert, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be excited. But being spiritually alert, it goes against our, spare, the, our sin nature. One more, I want to give you another quote that's pretty long, but I really like what this guy said. Bishop, Bishop Robert Schnee says this. He says, it takes a passionate attentiveness to notice the movement of the Spirit, to hear whispers of God's grace to discern the presence and power of God among us, to identify the calling of God. It takes discipline and intentional practicing of attentiveness for us to develop the interior life, the life of the Spirit, the life of love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, justice, hope. As we practice spiritual attentiveness, we begin to see the world differently. We stay awake. We become alive. Through the eyes of faith, we fathom such questions as, where's God in this? How may, I, how may I have seen God at work in this last few days? What might God be trying to provoke me to attend to? What does the world look like through God's eyes? Wow. I would love to be able to be prompted naturally to ask those questions. And that's what happens when we're spiritually alert. We're seeing things that way. And Jesus really addressed this whole issue of staying alert, didn't he? When he confronted his disciples, remember, he went off to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went up praying. He said, okay, stand guard. I want you guys to watch. And what happened to them? They all, fell, they all fell asleep. Well, Matthew, he says this. He says, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Man, I am so willing to be alert. I am more than willing to be spiritually alert. But man, <laughs> spiritually alert, man, the flesh is weak. Uh, and this is, this is primarily what Jesus was talking about. I know we talk about with dieting and everything else. We talk about the spirit is willing to the flesh. But this is what he's talking about, staying spiritually alert. It's hard. We want to snooze. We want to doze off. We want to hit the snooze button again in our spiritual lives. It's natural. It's so natural. So how do we remain spiritually alert? How do we do this then? Well, I think one of the first things we do is we need to be aware of when we're spiritually inattentive or asleep. I think a lot of times we don't even know. We don't even realize that we're snoozing spiritually. I mean, one of the enemy's most powerful tactics is to lull us to sleep spiritually so that we won't even recognize our desperate need for God's wisdom and for God's power or recognize when we're actually even living in sin. He can get a lull us, and we don't even realize that we're in sin until it's too late, and the consequences are huge. 
Another thing is to realize that we can't remain spiritually alert on our own strength. We can't. Mustering up the willpower will not do it. We need to be connected to the true source of power, which means we need to be saturated in God's word and in prayer and in accountable relationships. We just have to. Let me encourage you. I really want to encourage you this this morning is to spend time with the Lord, not out of obligation, not out of guilt. Oh, pastor, pastor said I have to read my Bible. Okay, I'll do it. Bless you. No, because you get to. Because it's a, as a way of it increases our ability to remain spiritually alert. See it as that. If you see it as that alone, wonderful. See it as if you don't read your Bible, spend time with God, however that works for you, however the God, Lord is leading you to do that on a regular basis, spiritual alertness, if that doesn't happen, is going to drift. And I'm just speaking from personal experience. It just happens. It's so important. You see, the reasons we are to be spiritually alert, he explains it. Here's why I want you to stay alert. It's in the rest of verse 8. He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What an incredible picture that is. The reason that we are to remain spiritually alert is because, you know, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. I mean, if you knew that there was a lion outside of your house, a hungry lion outside of your home, and he was looking for a human snack, you'd be alert, right? I would be. I would be alert knowing there's something out there. Watch the windows. Let's take care of things. Let's make sure we don't, the chicken scraps aren't thrown outside. Let's do something to make sure. I want to be alert. Peter tells us this is exactly what is happening. It's a great picture. It is exactly what is happening. So who exactly, or what exactly, is the devil? Who or what is the devil? Well, the devil is referred to in many ways throughout the Bible. For example, he's the small r, ruler of this world. He is the small g, god of this world. He's called the evil one, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren. And here's the big one, the father of lies. This is who he is. So think about it. This is the enemy that we are facing every moment of our lives. And he's a hungry, ravenous lion. And he wants to devour us. I'm not trying to freak anybody out here or get all weird, crazy, devilly, and all that stuff. But this is the reality. This is the reality we live in. This is what Peter is trying to say. As you want to be alert, here's why you got to be alert. This guy's prowling around like a lion. And this lion knows how to take it. This lion knows how to get in the side door. This lion knows how to get in the vent when you thought you covered one area. He knows because he is smart. Billy Graham, one of my heroes, he said to this one day, he said, don't think of Satan as a harmless cartoon character with a red suit and pitchfork. He's very clever and powerful. 
And his unchanging purpose is to defeat God's plan at every turn, including his plan for your life. Now, this word devour that Peter is using here literally means to swallow up. That's what he wants. He wants to swallow us up. What it means is that for those that don't know Christ, that those that do not trust in Jesus for forgiveness of their sins, he wants to swallow them up in the lie of deception that they don't need God. What do I need God? I don't really need God. Everything's fine. That's the lie. He swallows them up in it. I'm just fine. I don't need them. For the follower of Jesus, it means doing as much damage to our faith as he can possibly do. As much damage. Now, Peter's already talked about the fact that for us true believers, our salvation is secure. We're secure in that, okay? We don't have to worry. But the devil is always working to get us to live in fear instead of trust. That's his big one. If I can get you to be afraid and not trust my goodness and my power and my greatness in whatever way he's got us, he wants to get us to constantly doubt God's goodness. He wants to get us to doubt that God looks on us with incredible favor. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we're the apple of his eye. He wants us to not believe that at all. The essence of the devil's desire is to devour us in such a way that our faith in Jesus has very little or no impact on our lives. That's his desire. As believers, he's lost us for eternity. But if he can get us to just be ineffective, live in fear, here, he's got us. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to impact uh, how we impact other people's lives also, to have no impact on the world. If he can get, okay, I don't have you, but I'm going to keep you asleep. I'm going to keep you tired. I'm going to keep you focused on other things. I'm going to keep you disappointed. No impact on our own life or on the life of the rest of the world. He's crafty. So what does this have to do with being prepared to properly deal with oppression that we might deal with or humiliation or things that we might just have to deal with when we start to follow Christ in a, in a deeper and deeper way? You see, the devil will do anything that he can to deceive us into relying on anything, anything other than God for our sense of self-worth, for our joy, and for our contentment. He'll use anything. And one of the best ways for God to do that is through discouragement. If he can get us to be discouraged about what we're going through, if we can use the humiliation that we deal with by feeling like we're the only believers out there, the only ones that feel this way, if he can get us discouraged by that, he'll do it. Suffering is hard. None of us wants to do it. But when we suffer in the name of Christ, sometimes we even get more discouraged. All the enemy needs to do is get his foot in the door. That's all he wants to do is get his foot in the door and the seeds of discouragement will totally blossom. He just wants to stick his foot in there and throw them in there and they're going to go. He's not looking to come in and like, I've got to ruin your life. Here we go. Here we go. No, he just wants to get it in there a little bit and get you discouraged. And believe me, if you're going to get this, if when he does it, it's discouraging us about things that we never thought we'd get discouraged about. <laughs> like I said, he's crafty, and that's how he's going to do it. Uh, when he when he when this happens, it blinds us to God's goodness and faithfulness. Ephesians chapter four, I love this. Twenty seven says, "Give no opportunity for the devil 
or the NIV, NIV, NIV says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, in order to not allow the devil a foothold in our lives, especially in this area of discouragement, Peter tells us in this next verse now what we need to do. Here's how you not let him get a foothold, because that's what he wants to do. Verse 9 says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, Peter tells us here that in order to keep the devil from deceiving us into being discouraged or to doubt that God is good, he says that we need to resist him, resist him by standing firm in our faith. Okay, he says, what he's saying here is we need to stand our ground. Okay, we see this similar. And if you read, read through James, one of my favorite books when I was in high school is, was James. I've read it a lot then. He says, similar exhortation from James. He says, in the, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. What will he do? He will flee. No, you don't flee. You resist him, and he will flee. Now, the best way to resist the devil here is to stand firm in our faith. Or we stand firm on what we know is true about God. Because a lot of times we feel like, I don't have much faith. But we do know what is true about God. If we're in the Word, we're spending time with others that are encouraging us and challenging us, we will know what the truth about God is. That is what we stand in. We stand on that. And that is why adhering to sound biblical doctrine is so vitally important. That doesn't mean we all agree on everything. But sound biblical doctrine that you are pursuing what who God is, who Jesus is, it is so vital and so important. This is why so many people chuck the faith, because it makes no sense to them because they really don't know the Bible. They really don't know what it says. They don't know the truth about God. When we know the truth about God, we can stand on that. When we just have assumptions about God, whoa, that's not a good place to be. And it's easy to make assumptions about God. I think especially it's true in this area of God's sovereignty. We've talked about this in a few sermons back. We talked about God being sovereign. This is such an important biblical concept for all of us to be so wrapping our heads around constantly. It's, it's so hard to understand, but it makes so much sense in terms of being loved. Because God being sovereign means that he is in total control of everything. Everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. Nothing happens that is out of his knowledge. Nothing happens that's out of his control. All things are either caused by him or they are allowed by him for his own purposes. Through his perfect will, through his perfect, perfect timing, for his glory, and for our good. I'm going to write that down for myself. <laughs> that is so powerful and so hard to trust at the same time, but so good to know. It's much easier to resist the schemes of the devil when we are resting in the truth that God is 100% completely in control. Sometimes it's the only thing we have to grasp onto when things have gone south. That's all we've got. God 
is in, this makes absolutely no sense. This is horrible. This is terrible. I don't get it. Why me? But you know what? I know that God is good all the time. He's 100% in control. 100%. There's, and it's going to be, this is used for my good and for his glory. That is a powerful foundation to stand on. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, Peter wants to make sure that we realize that we're not alone in this. This is kind of cool. He adds this thing in that verse. He says, because the truth is that, that when we are humiliated or face opposition for our faith, a lot of times we feel like that we're alone in that. But the reality is what Peter is saying here. This is par for the course. We, golf, I got a golf one in there for you. Golf analogy. It's par for the course that this is what's going to happen. This is what the Christian life is all about. When you step out, we step out in faithfulness and we say, I'm going to live. Everything is God's and let's go. There's a chance things are going to go south in your life a little bit. But you know what? You're not alone in that. That's the way it goes. Jesus even said that would happen. No, he didn't say it. He promised it. He promised that we would go through some very, very difficult times. Now, the next thing we might do in order to be prepared to deal with humiliation or opposition uh, for living as a follower of Christ is in uh, the next couple of verses here. Verses 10 and 11, let's at those. He says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now notice that Peter is acknowledging, he's acknowledging that, it, that suffering is inevitable. He's saying that this is inevitable for a Christian. If you're a Christian, you are probably going to suffer in some way. In America here, as far as suffering for a faith, we don't, not so much. But we still are going to suffer when we step out in our own context, in our own ways. Okay? Yet what he says here is it'll only be for a little while. Now he's not saying that any suffering you go through, don't worry about it. All suffering is only going to be really short. Don't worry about it. No, that's not, what he, that's not what he's saying here. What he means that in the light of eternal glory, okay, which all of us as believers have in Christ, we all have this, any amount of suffering that we encounter due to following Christ is considered comparatively fleeting compared to that. It's really small. So really, in order to be prepared, we need to look to our eternal glory. We need to look to our eternal glory. Romans chapter 8, verses 18, the apostle said, Paul says this, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Peter mentions this eternal glory in Christ that God has called believers to. What is this? What is this? What, 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 this, what does that mean? Well, what this is, is this is a promise of being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. Okay, it's being like Jesus and sharing in his glory, something that we, I would like to have right now in full effect, but that's not happening yet. This is something that is actually, though, it is in the process of happening in our lives right now. If you were able to step back in the spiritual realm and look at your life, you would be able to see what God has do, been doing in your life over time. If you've been a believer for a while, especially, you've been able, you can watch and you can see what God has been doing in your life, especially when it comes to having to deal with opposition for your faith and things like that. And this is what we call sanctification, okay? 
He's a big spiritual word, sanctification. What sanctification means is the process. Sanctification is a process of setting us apart as holy for God's purposes. I think if you were able to step back and look at your life, you will be in a, in, in a, you are opened up to the spiritual realm. I guarantee you, you'd be able to say, wow, God has really been doing something. He's been making me holy. He's been making me more like Jesus than I ever thought. It's just that the enemy is trying to convince you that you're making no progress or very little progress. Why are you struggling with that same problem? Things like that. We are being sanctified more and more as time goes on, especially as we live out our faith, especially as we deal with suffering and we have to cling to God. That's how it works. Peter's saying that the God of all grace, meaning that the God who has looked upon us with favor is in the process of fully restoring and confirming and strengthening and establishing us in Christ. And one day, it's going to be completed. He is doing the work now, but one day, it'll be completely done. We'll be established. We'll be restored. We'll be confirmed. It'll be done. Once again, it's that eternal mindset. It's it's as Apostle Paul told the church in Philippi. He said, I am sure of this. This is, I remember a student back in my youth ministry. He said, he was in high school. He said, this is my life verse, Rob. This is my life verse. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what this means. What this means is God is doing a sanctifying work in our lives, setting us apart more and more and more and more to be holy. A lot of times we look at it as, I'm going backwards, I'm struggling with more and more. No, what you have, what's happening is you're seeing more and more how much you want to be like Jesus and how difficult that is and how much you need to rely on him and you can't skate anymore and you can't be, you have to be alert. That's what he's saying. That's what sanctification is. It's great motivation to live all out for Jesus, no matter what, because we know that we're becoming more and more like Jesus, and one day we will be like him, sharing in his glory. What we believe now, you guys, it really shapes our future. How we, I mean, I'm sorry, what we believe about our future shapes how we live today. It really does. What we believe about what's, going, what's happening and what's going to happen to us ultimately, it should shape how we live right now. What Peter's saying, that one day Christ will be revealed and we will share in his glory. But until that time, God is at work and he stands with us. He stands with us to empower us to deal with that opposition, to not be afraid to go and share your faith, to not be afraid and go ahead and live out your life, to have the values that are Christ-like. No matter what's going to happen, we have the promise that he's there empowering us to live with that opposition. And we can be assured that because God, like he says here, to him belongs all dominion, our ultimate power, that we will one day be with him. (coughs) Excuse me. So Peter's telling us here that we can be assured that because God because him belongs all that dominion, we will never fail. God will never fail us because remember he says to him be all dominion, all power. Sometimes we think of that, oh, that's a great little prayer at the end of a, of a thing at the end of the service, someone will say. No, that means that all power, dominion, ultimately are his, and he will never fail. He'll always accomplish his purpose. And oftentimes, that purpose includes suffering. It includes opposition to our faith. Well, in the final verses of this letter, Paul ends 
with one last word of encouragement instruction. Well, this is it here. He says, and, and how to be prepared to deal with the opposition and suffering. He says this in verses 12 to 14. He says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, uh, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Everybody, go. No. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter ends this letter. This great letter that we've been looking at. He ends this by telling us that in order to be able to deal with the suffering that we're going to encounter for our faith, we need to trust God's promises and act on them. We need to trust his promises, say yes, and then we need to act on them. He says that even in the midst of facing opposition for our faith, we can stand firm and completely trust in all of these powerful promises that Peter's been encouraging us with throughout this whole letter. I want to encourage you. I would encourage you. I went back this week and read through the whole thing, the whole letter. <laughs> not a big accomplishment. It's not that long. Read through First Peter, looking for all the different promises that we are, are given to us by God. And I just picked out a couple of the things that he is saying that we, these are powerful, that we can stand on, that we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We have an imperishable inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We have been ransomed from the feudal ways of this world. We even are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. When we bless those who persecute us, we are in turn blessed. And when we're persecuted and suffer for the name of Jesus, we're blessed and we share in the glory of Jesus. Because of these promises and because they're true, we can confidently and boldly live our, our commitment to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Through his suffering and death, Jesus conquered sin and death, and he has called you and I. He's calling us to follow him and follow, because you know what's at the end? Ultimate glory. That is at the end. It's not just great job, die, go to heaven. No, there's this sanctification process happening now and then in heaven in incredible glory with God. If we're going to live our, live out our Christ, Christ mandate to follow in his footsteps and go and make disciples, which is something we want to do as a church, it's pretty inevitable then that we will face some kind of opposition. Because like I said, Jesus promised we will. We will. Are you prepared? Am I prepared? Are we prepared to deal with any type of humiliation or opposition or even suffering that we might face for living as followers of Jesus? I want to encourage you this morning to be prepared by committing to take the time to humbly submit yourselves daily to the God of all grace, asking him to strengthen and to use you wherever you are, whatever job, family, wherever you are, that he would use you there. And the last words 
of this book, ultimately, really, is so that we may enjoy peace. This peace. I love when Kara says that down this goes, go in his peace. Because what he's saying here is, is this isn't a peace that we only experience, okay, things are good, things have calmed down, good. That's not the peace he's talking about at all. He's talking about a lasting peace that exists due to what God has done in and through his son. That peace can be ours. We can come back. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful that this is not a journey that we take on our own, not a journey that we have to pull up our bootstraps and try hard to be a good Christian. We have a powerful, mighty God behind us that loves us, a sovereign God that will not let anything happen to us that is not for his, your glory and for our good. Help us to remember that. I pray, God, that we will be prepared, that we would be prepared, that we would be ready, that we would be vigilant with our lives, spending that time with you, enjoying your goodness, enjoying your grace, and the fellowship that we have with you and with other believers. We ask all your sons and